The two biggest weeks of the golf year in Australia are looming, the PGA Championship and the Australian Open. The fields are strong, the local draw cards will be here and it is the ideal moment to examine golf's place right now on the Australian sporting landscape. And to that end, in the studio, the Chief Executive of Golf Australia, James Sutherland. James, great to see you. You too, Jared. And the Chief Executive of the PGA is Gavin Kirkman. Welcome back, Gavin. Thanks, Jared. As a shop window, as a systems check, how important are these two weeks? Well, I mean, it's really circus coming to town, sort of a couple of weeks for us. And um, yeah, we don't necessarily get all of the, the big guns in Australia at any one point in time, but this is where the big opportunity for, for golf to shine over a couple of weeks. What's the, what are the non-negotiables? When you draw it up on your, your whiteboards, what do you want these weeks and how close to it are you? Yeah, we want to showcase our sport. I think that's the biggest thing, you know, over the summer of golf, um, our two pinnacle events being the Australian PGA, the Australian Open, but um, international players coming down, our great players returning home, men and women. And I think, you know, putting our sport out there to the fans and, and also highlighting where our sport is at the moment. I think that's the message we want to get through this summer of golf, that, you know, Australian golf is changing. It's for everyone. It's fun. It's young, fun and fresh. It's got alternate formats, and, and that's what we want to showcase while putting on great entertainment in our sport as well. How strong is your field for the PGA? It's going to be one of the strongest fields we've had probably in a decade. You know, We've got all our great players coming home um, from overseas. We've got uh, 10 players in the top 100 in the world. Um, five of them are our Aussie players. And then you know, combining and sanctioning with the DP World Tour, we're going to have really good depth all the way through. So where we're going to see young guns, we're all going to see some of our, our you know, style, um, not our style mates coming in, but, you know, our great players coming home like uh, Sendon and Pampling and those guys just to showcase where we've been as a sport. And James, with the Australian Open, you've got both the men's and the women's fields coming together. Yeah, we have. And, and I think, I mean, on, one, on the men's side of things, I mean, what we're doing in conjunction with the, the PGA Tour and Gavin's team is, is working on, you know, two very significant male events um, with pretty similar fields uh, and on the women's side obviously we've got joint men and women and an all abilities event as well and really pleased that our best players are coming back I, I think between the two tournaments we've got 16 top 100 players um, that are going to be playing over the course of the two weeks Is there a loyalty in the big name Australians to be here for these couple of weeks? Oh no doubt I think there's uh, I mean I think we um, we we are really grateful for our players who have come off the back of a very busy season and there's no doubt they have a lot of loyalty and a lot of, uh, they, I mean, to be fair, they love coming back to play in front of Australian fans, but at the same time, they've had a busy year and it's the end of a schedule and the big events of significant of, significance have come and gone, um, but they still want to come back and they still want their name on those trophies. And Gavin, what, what's the attitude of international players at the moment toward a trip to Australia? Yeah, it's changing all the time. And I think, you know, where we're seeing the global golf world rankings and, and all the different tours at the moment, um, we've got some players in the field that, you know, wouldn't normally put it on their schedule. So we've got a good depth of, you know, the, uh, the DP World Tour players coming back in. Adrian Moronk, who is the current Australian Open champion, a great player, Bobby McIntyre coming down from Scotland. You know, there's a couple of Americans in top 100 in the world coming down, PGA Tour players. But it's interesting, you know, we've had, um, you know, Joachim Neiman and Mito Piera who don't get to play on the uh, on the tours, but they fit within our categories of both events. 
So, you know, they're top 100 players as well. So there's going to be a lot of flags on the leaderboard. And, you know, we're a global tour and that's what we want to promote and that's what we want the fans to see, global players as well. So the, the worth of a single great international player, so Rory McIlroy, is how hard, how worthwhile, how essential? What, what, what's your view on one name that's not Australian? James? Uh, as in, are you asking for yeah. me for a name? No, no. What, you, ha, it, how do you get them? Can you get them? And is it is it uh, worth selling the farm to get them? Well, um, your money talks, Jared. Um, unfortunately, the money involved uh, with some of these really top 10 players has sort of gone a little bit beyond us at the moment. But I think for us, it's also about putting on great events, um, great tournaments on great golf courses. And, and I think that's one of the things is that I've come to understand is I've worked in golf for a little while longer and, and travelled around the world. There's a great appreciation of our golf courses, how, how wonderful they are. And I think that in itself is an attraction and something that we probably need to work a little bit harder on. The, I think the lament is that we used to have a summer of golf. Now we have a, a fortnight of feature golf. They're not the only events, but we had the Johnny Walker and the Masters. Is this Australia's lot forevermore, Gavin? Or could we, could we see a return of something that we might recognise from the past? Yeah, Jared. our season now, there's 18 events on our season, um, 17 events are broadcasted. So our summer of golf is probably, we're broadcasting more events than we ever have in the past before. You know, there was a t tournament missing. The Masters used to be the, the Triple Crown. Um, but we've got two events now that, you know, James and I would like to elevate our events. Um, as you said, when players come down here, we know we've got the best courses around the country. You know, we've got the sand belt. We know we put on really good events. And to get players down here, I think it's important that we try to build on experiences. So we've also got a great tourism experience. You know, they can come down here and play our events and spend more time in Australia. But the two events is where we showcase our sport globally or our tour globally and our players globally. But I think you're going to see we're going to continue to grow all our events on the schedule. You know, we've got the New Zealand Open. We're Australasian tour. New Zealand Open in March. Um, you know, and we'd like to get another women's event. We've got some ladies' European tour events in um, New South Wales coming up in late March, early April. So the schedule is going wider. And, and you know, when James come into golf, one of the things is we had to have a season. You know, if we're going to compete against the other sports, and we've got a season now, you can see golf on Fox KO. Um, the two big events are on nine. But you can see our, our sport on the broadcast every week at the moment, right through to the end of March. So 17 events broadcasted. So we're on our way. We've just got to elevate all the all the events, increase the price money, and then increase pathways, men and women. Is Cam Smith's place undiminished by his move to live? The, the affection for him seems stronger than ever, and the the pedestal that he'll hold at these tournaments, so I, I imagine he's going to command the galleries. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, we saw that last year and we'll see it again this year. Um, he hasn't won a major this year, but uh, he's still an incredibly popular player uh, globally. Uh, he is just the style, the way he carries himself. And I think Australian golf fans are, are really excited to see him coming back, but we're also proud of the way um, that he plays and takes it on. Yeah, on and off the course, Jared. you know, you got runner up in Hong Kong last week and the feedback with the crowds, you know, he just couldn't move. Couldn't, yep. couldn't get to the car park. 
Um, you know, and we'll probably have to make sure in our car parks that we've got him in a special place so that he can get to and from the car park onto the course. But, you know, when you look at Cam Smith, the other, you know, global recognised player now is Minwoo Lee. Um, he, when you go overseas now, and we're talking to our colleagues from other tours and other federations and associations, they're saying, how good is your man Minwoo? So, you know, to have Cam and Minwoo and then your statesman in, in Adam Scott, we've got everything coming into this summer of golf over these two weeks. The broader picture, so golf in society right now, participation rates, the uh, the squabbles over public land in a couple of states in recent times and whether there's a resentment towards golf courses there in the post-COVID era. What's the what, what's the, the big picture of golf right now in Australia, James? Uh, the big picture is incredibly positive. I mean, I guess there's always noise and there's always going to be issues or concerns about land, particularly as we have some housing issues and, and other things going on in society. But um, basically, we're seeing more people playing golf in all its different forms than we've ever seen before. Uh, you know, through the early part of this century, so sort of 2000, 2019, that period, we saw 1% decline in membership over every year for, for 20 years. Since then, it's up about 15%. So we've nearly got all of that back. Um, another significant increase last year. Um, but membership's only a small part of it now. And I think we're seeing investment in golf, in golf entertainment facilities that have never been seen before. And it's changing the face of the game and changing the way in which people play and enjoy the game as well. Have you got a theory on the why there? Well, I think um, by, by creating golf entertainment and, and different ways of playing the game, you appeal to people, you know, one of the criticisms of golf is, is you know, time for people who are time poor, it's a very difficult game to play. Um, and perhaps there's a perception that it's not accessible, as accessible to the public as, um, as it really is. Um, and, and so with the access to these different types of facilities, and I'm talking about indoor golf or driving ranges or mini golf, which are bobbing up all over the country. Gavin and I were at the launch of Swing City in Norwest in Sydney yesterday, which is an incredible golf entertainment facility. These things will make the game more accessible, younger, different audiences. And it's just part of a, a, a progression that will see people move along the, pro, uh, the spectrum on course and um, through to membership as well. So what are the possibilities therein, Gavin? I think, you know, um, just to say it's so exciting time for golf. It's getting... It's getting big and it's going to continue to get bigger. But we've just got to make sure it's the perception that we've changed. We've come together as a sport, all the golf bodies. We've built a strategy and, and it is all about um, accessibility, but change its welcoming, breaking down those barriers. You know, the perception that, you know, elite, elite sport, male dominated sport. You know, some of the data coming through at the moment, 3.5 million people played the game last year. 1.5 million of them played off course. That's simulators, mini golf, driving ranges. But out of that 1.5, 53% were women. And they're feeling more welcome and, um, you know, to come into the game through an alternate format. And we've got to, you know, welcome that. Um, we've got to educate our industry and our PGA professionals on how to run the sport a different way. Um, so I think the game's changing and, and its perception. Um, it's fun, it's health, and uh, you know, we, we couldn't be more happy where we are at the moment and couldn't be more excited where the sport's heading at the moment. Is there recognition of that in the corridors of power, James, whether it's 
politically or in the business circle as to what the possibilities of golf are? I think so. Um, but I think there's a, there's a story to tell that we need to tell better. Um, you know, just simple things like the average golfer lives five years longer than, um, than the average person. Um, that in itself is a pretty good statistic that, um, is pretty powerful. If you're not playing golf at Gavin or my age, then what sport are you playing? And that's one of the great things about golf that I've come to appreciate, I guess, coming into the sport, having had a background in footy and, and cricket, you tend to compare it to the sports, you know, but the, the difference with golf is it's a sport for life and it's a sport for all genuinely in a way that other sports aren't. And you've got banner holders. So we've spoken about a couple, but it's, it's broader than that. Um, the, the health of top end Australian professional golfers, um, men and women, and the dearth of talent there, how, um, it, it, like we've had sort of golden ages uh, and maybe you need a cluster of them, but how close are we to, to having a golden age of golf right now? Yeah, I think, you know, we've got five in the top 50 in the world at the moment. So when you look at the size of our country and, and population and, and number of facilities, we're producing through our programs at high performance from, from Golf Australia through to, to um, you know, we even have a, a affiliate tour program so they can transition a lot earlier um, so I think, you know, where you see where our game's heading at the moment, the pathways that we've got coming through, and we're, we're working on that with the women's side of the game too, Jared. but, um, you know, we've got players that can play well in Australia now on that 18 event schedule. They can move across into Europe or onto the Corn Ferry Tour, make their way to the major tours, you know, the DP World or PGA Tour, play majors, play for their country, President's Cup or Olympics, um, and the same on the women's side. So we've got programs in place that we are producing a lot of really good players coming through. But what we've been doing a lot in the last 12 to 24 months is to make sure if they do play well here, where do they go? So our top three players last year will all take up their DP World Tour cards um, in first event, which is the Australian PGA. We've got 10 players at the moment over in DP World final stage of tour school. We've got players over in Corn Ferry tour school. We've got our women, you know, going to LPGA tour school and LET tour school. So we, we feel we're producing enough talent and then our programs are strong enough and robust enough to, when they do get overseas, they're in a much better position as well. And I think that's a lot to do with the pathway coming through from when they've been recognised as uh, a high performer within the sport, we can take them all the way through from that younger age all the way through to when they, they reach the yeah. top. James, might we see an Australian Open back on the Melbourne Sandbelt soon? We'd, uh, we'd love to see that. I think the success of last year was a great reminder. And just recently, the Asia-Pacific Amateur Championship at Royal Melbourne, I think, uh, which is part hosted by the RNA and Augusta National, was a great reminder and I think a reminder to them about how wonderful our sand belt is. Uh, Royal Melbourne put on a great show and we'd love to see um, more Australian Opens down here. James, Gavin, it's great to have you both in the studio. Good luck uh, over the next little bit. Yeah, thanks, Jared. Thanks, Jared.